Let's pray. Father, we, uh, we praise you as our king and as we prepare to, to come before you now and to study your word, we pray that you, by the power of your spirit that you would prepare our minds and hearts for that. As we think about believers around the world and think about those who are, are persecuted for their faith and for, for those that um, have very uh, great difficulty in even getting the scriptures in their hands, uh, we, we remember our brothers and sisters today around the world, even as we just sung and as we're going to look later on in, in the text together, uh, we're going to be joining with them one day in, in, in praising you forever. And so we want to re remember them, and, and, and even as we think about them, remind us of what an incredible privilege that it is uh, to be able to gather uh, together with brothers and sisters in Christ and to be able to open uh, your word openly uh, and, to, and to study it. And so help us not to, not to be complacent, not to take that lightly. Um, the opportunity that we have over these next few minutes together. And so we pray that you'd help us to have our attention, our minds and hearts just riveted to, to you, to your word. And we ask you to speak to us now by the power of your word, through your spirit. And we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. <clears throat> well, if you're new today, we are in um, the book of First Peter, and we're walking through First uh, Peter uh, this summer. Uh, we have come today to uh, to chapter two of First Peter, and so if you'll turn to First Peter chapter two, uh, and we're going to look at verses four through ten today, and we're talking about hope and our new identity. So we've been talking about in First Peter kind of the theme of hope that winds its way through, all the way through this letter. And each week we're sort of shining a different dimension of, of shining the light in a different way on that theme of hope. And today we're, we're talking about identity. Uh, this text really is about, about who we are in Christ. What is our, our real identity? What are some of the... Uh, the the, the other ways that, that we, could, we could find identity that, that, that really areas where we shouldn't find our identity. And, and what is our true identity? We're going to talk about that today. First Peter chapter 2. We're going to focus today on verses 4 through 10. I'm going to go ahead and just start with, with verse 1. And let's look at the first 10 verses of, of chapter 2 of, of First Peter. The Bible says, therefore, rid yourselves of all malice, all deceit, hypocrisy, envy, and all slander. Like newborn infants desire the pure milk of the word so that you may grow up into your salvation if you have tasted that the Lord is good. As you come to him, a living stone, rejected by people, but chosen and honored by God, you yourselves... As living stones, a spiritual house, are being built to be a holy priesthood to offer spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. For it stands in scripture, see, I lay a stone in Zion, a chosen and honored cornerstone, and the one who believes in him will never be put to shame. So honor will come to you who believe, but for the unbelieving, the stone that the builders rejected 
This one has become the cornerstone and a stone to stumble over and a rock to trip over. They stumble because they disobey the word. They were destined for this. But you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his possession so that you may proclaim the praises of the one who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. Once you were not a people, but now you are God's people. You had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. May God bless his word to understanding today. You know, we live in a culture that is obsessed with issues of identity. In fact, we, there's a vocabulary today that just did not exist when, when I was growing up. I mean, we never heard until, you know, a few years ago about things like identity politics, you know, or sexual uh, identity. And so, like, there, there are terms related to identity today that, like, we just didn't, didn't hear, uh, you know, not even all that long ago. That may be new, but what's not new is that human beings have always tried to, to locate their identity in things other than where we should find our identity, which is in God. Today is, is Father's Day. And, we, and, and those of us who are parents, uh, we, we thank, thank God for the, the privilege of, of, of being uh, parents, but when we think about Father's Day or, 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 or Mother's Day and we think about kind of the joys of, of, of parenthood, you know, there are, awful lot of, there are an awful lot of people who find their identity in the fact that they, in, that, they are, that they are parents and they even try to kind of live their lives through their kids and, and their, their, their joy is almost uh, kind of d- dependent on on, on, on that, and so they try to, they, lots of people find their primary identity in life in, in being a father or, or mother. That's not how it's supposed to, to work. You know, so, some of us maybe find our identity uh, by where we, 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 we live and our identity as Americans. And of course, there's nothing wrong with, with, with being uh, patriotic, but as followers of Jesus, where we live is not our primary identity. When we think about Father's Day and we, we think about men, we men are, are, are famous for finding our identity in what we do in our jobs. And sometimes we, our, our joy is kind of conditioned on, the, on how well things are, are going in our jobs or how outwardly successful we, we are perceived or we think ourselves to be in our, our, our jobs. And we tend as men to sometimes find our identity there. But brothers and sisters, our identity is not to be found in any of those things. Our identity as followers of Jesus, is not to be found in, in, in parenthood or in where we live or in what we do, but in whose we are. We belong to Christ. And our identity in life is to be found in him. 
Um, I want us to look at a, at a short video in, in, a, in a moment. This, this is a, a guy named Trevor Lawrence. He's, he's a quarterback for, for Clemson and a great, great college player, one of the best college players, but, uh, but he's, he's also a young man who, who, who understands where identity truly should lie for the believers. Less than a minute long. Let's check it out. Um, I've just, that's just kind of always been my personality. Um, and then just growing up, my family's always like, I mean, football's, football's important to me, obviously, but it's just, it's not my life. It's not, uh, it's not like the biggest thing in my life, I would say, uh, my, my faith is. So that just comes from kind of knowing, um, knowing who I am outside of that. So I just know no matter how big the situation is, it's not really going to define me. Just this putting my identity and you know what what Christ says what who th he thinks I am and who I know that he says I am so really like I said at the end of the day it doesn't really matter what people think about me or how good they think I play or whatever you know it doesn't really matter so that's definitely been a big thing for me just uh in my situation just knowing that and having confidence in that that's a powerful truth that as believers our identity is found in, in Christ and who we are in Christ and who Christ says that we are. That's what this text is about. And we're going to look at a couple of images today to show us different, different, um, different nuggets of truth about our identity in Christ. First of all, if you're taking notes, the text says here that we are living stones, living stones. Stones. Let's look at verses 4 and, and 5. <clears throat> look in your Bibles. It says, as you come to him, a living stone, rejected by people but chosen and honored by God, you yourselves, as living stones, a spiritual house, are being built to be a holy priesthood to offer spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. <clears throat> now, like a lot of sentences in First Peter, uh, that one is a, a mouthful <laughs> or a brainful because it's so loaded with, with truth. So let's just kind of kind of walk through verses four and, and five here. Peter says, as you come to him, to Christ, a living stone. So he refers to Jesus here as a living stone. Where is Peter getting that? Is, he, is that originating with him? Well, no. He's drawing an image from the Old Testament. If you'll direct your attention to the screen, let's look at Psalm 118 and verses 22 and 23. This is where Peter is drawing this image. The stone that the builders rejected has become the cornerstone. This came from the Lord, and it is wondrous in our sight. And so the context of Psalm 118 is that the pagan nations around Israel did not want the Davidic king, God's anointed, to reign, and so they had rebelled and they had sought to, to, to take him down. But in rejecting God's anointed, what they were doing is that they, they were rejecting God. And in seeking to destroy God's anointed one, they were assuring their own destruction. And so the context here in Psalm 118 is that despite the attempts of enemies to destroy him, 
God's anointed one, the Davidic king, has returned to Jerusalem, to the temple, and is giving thanks there in triumph in the temple. Now, Jesus uses the same text in one of the parables that he tells. Uh, and this is too long to put on the screen, so I want you to look in your Bibles. Look in, in, in Matthew chapter 21. Turn to Matthew 21. And let's look at verses 33 and following. Matthew 21, one of the parables that Jesus tells. And, and the, this parable is going to, to climax with Jesus drawing from uh, this, this same text in Psalm 118. And I want us to see it together and I want us to see the, the point of it together Matthew 21 and, and beginning with verse 33. <clears throat> this is the parable of the, of the vineyard owner. Jesus says, listen to another parable. There was a landowner who planted a vineyard, put a fence around it, dug a wine press in it, and built a watchtower. He leased it to tenant farmers and went away. When the time came to harvest fruit, he sent his servants to the farmers to collect his fruit. The farmers took his servants, beat one, killed another, and stoned a third. Again, he sent other servants, more than the first group, and they did the same to them. Finally, he sent his son to them. They will respect my son, he said. But when the tenant farmers saw the son, they said to each other, this is the heir. Come, let's kill him and take his inheritance. So they seized him, threw him out of the vineyard, and killed him. Therefore, when the owner of the vineyard comes, what will he do to those farmers? He will completely destroy those terrible men, they told him and lease his vineyard to other farmers who will give him his fruit at the harvest. Jesus said to them, have you never read in the scriptures the stone that the builders rejected has become the cornerstone? This is what the Lord has done and it is wonderful in our eyes. And so in the story, they try to kill the son in order to, to steal the inheritance. But yet, we know that the death of the son is not the final word, right? Because Jesus is foreshadowing here. The son is going to be killed. Jesus is going to be killed, but it's not the end because Jesus is raised. And so the rejected son becomes the raised son. The, the stone that is rejected becomes the cornerstone. Now, Peter, no doubt, heard Jesus tell this parable, probably heard him tell it many times. And so, when Peter begins to preach the gospel, he draws on this same image. Uh, I want you to turn again in your Bibles to Acts chapter 4, Acts 4. And again, we're not putting this on screen, it's a longer text. Um, and so look at it, turn in your Bibles to, uh, to Acts chapter 4, and let's look at verses 8 through 12. 
Acts 4 and verses 8 through 12. And so the context here is that this is in the days of the early church. Jesus has risen. The Holy Spirit has come at Pentecost. And so Peter and and the other apostles have begun to, to preach the gospel. There's been an incredible miracle that has occurred in Jerusalem. A disabled man has been healed. And so Peter has sort of been dragged before the religious leaders, the same ones who had crucified Jesus. And and he he stands and what does he say to them? Acts 4 uh, and beginning with verse 8. It says, Then Peter was filled with the Holy Spirit and said to them, Rulers of the people and elders, If we are being examined today about a good deed done to a disabled man by what means he was healed, let it be known to all of you and all the people of Israel that by the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, whom you crucified and whom God raised from the dead, by him this man is standing here before you healthy. This Jesus is the stone rejected by you builders, which has become the cornerstone. There is salvation in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven given to people by which we must be saved. And so Peter, too, draws from Psalm 118, and he's talking again about the fact that the rejected one, the one who was rejected, by the rulers, the very people that he's standing there preaching to. The one who was rejected and killed has been raised and vindicated and he reigns and salvation, rescue, new life, eternal life is found in him and in in no other. The stone that you builders rejected, Peter says, has become the, the cornerstone. And life is found in him because he is risen. The rejected one has become the raised one. And life is found in him. He is the living stone. And so life is found in him. John chapter 1 and verse 4 says, In him was life. And that life was the light of men. John 14 and verse 6, Jesus says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. Life is found in Jesus. When we come to know him, when we are united to Christ by faith, we are sharers in his life and in eternal life. As our hope as believers, even as we think about uh, brothers and sisters in our own church family uh, passing away, we know that as believers, that is not the end of the story. Because there is life in Jesus, eternal life. We are sharers in his eternal life. Jesus is risen. And those who are in Christ have life. We already have eternal life in him. It is a present possession and a forever possession. He's a living stone. Look at verse uh, 5. Let's go back to, go back to first, first Peter. And let's look together at, at, at verse 5. So in verse 4... Peter refers to Jesus as the living stone, 
But now in verse 5, he refers to us as believers as living stones. What does he say? He says, you yourselves, as living stones, a spiritual house, are being built to be a holy priesthood to offer spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. So he refers to us, the church, as living stones, a spiritual house. So in the Old Testament, the house of God was what? The temple in Jerusalem. But in the New Testament, what do we see? We see that the people of God have become a new temple indwelt by the Spirit. And so we see texts like 1 Corinthians 3 and verse 16, which says, don't you yourselves know that you are God's temple and that the Spirit of God lives in you. And then Paul in Ephesians 2 and verses 19 and following says, so then, You are no longer foreigners and strangers, but fellow citizens with the saints and members of God's household built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets with Christ Jesus himself as the cornerstone. In him, the whole building being put together grows into a holy temple in the Lord. In him, you are also being built together to be God's dwelling in the spirit. I love that image in verse 22 that that we're being built together as living stones. It's it's not all there. (laughs) We're under construction, right? We're all in process, right? As individuals and, and and collectively as a church, right? But we're being built together to be a a holy temple in the Lord. The people of God are the new temple and dwelt by the Holy Spirit. Now let's continue walking through here in in, in verse six. He, He quotes here again from the Old Testament. He says, for it stands in scripture. See, I lay a stone in Zion, a chosen and honored cornerstone, and the one who believes in him will never be put to shame. Now, again, Peter is is drawing an image from the Old Testament, this time from Isaiah. If you'll direct your attention to the screen, Isaiah 28 and verse 16 is where this comes from. Therefore the Lord God said, look, I have laid a stone in Zion, a tested stone, a precious cornerstone, a sure foundation, the one who believes will be unshakable. I'm reading Isaiah right now in, in my quiet time, and, and, and the theme that runs through the whole book of, of, of Isaiah uh, is the fact that, that God's people were, were looking elsewhere for their protection. They, they, were, they were trying to find a protection in forming uh, military alliances with pagan nations. You know, they were trying to find their protection in, 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 in other human beings, right? Whether it was you know, military alliances or in their own wealth or in their own strength or in false gods. But, but God's blessing and protection wasn't found in 
in any of those things. In fact, they were missing God's blessing and protection because they were not seeking it in God. They were not trusting in him. And so Isaiah is saying that the one who believes, the one who trusts in the one true God will truly be unshakable. They will never be put to shame. But, but when, we, when we turn elsewhere, when we seek to find our identity in, in other things, when we seek to find protection or blessing in other things, in, in, in false gods and anything other than God, then we're setting ourselves up for, uh, for, for great disappointment and even for destruction. And he continues with that same theme in verses 7 and, and 8. Uh, Peter says here, so honor will come to you who believe, but for the unbelieving, the stone that the builders rejected, this one has become the cornerstone and a stone to stumble over and a rock to trip over. Again, Peter is drawing from the Old Testament and again from Isaiah, this time Isaiah in chapter 8 and verse 14. Isaiah 8, 14, if you could just put that on the screen. Okay, you've... You've lost it. Okay. All right. Um, Isaiah 8 and verse 14 says this. He will be a sanctuary, but for the two houses of Israel, he will be a stone to stumble over and a rock to trip over, a trap and a snare to the inhabitants of Jerusalem. I want to read that again. He will be a sanctuary, but for the two houses of Israel, he will be a stone to stumble over and a rock to trip over and a trap and a snare to the inhabitants of Jerusalem. Now, this is tragic. Tragic. Because what Isaiah is saying here is that God could be your sanctuary. But for the two houses of Israel, for Israel and Judah, the very people... Who, who should have fled to God, the, the very people for whom he could have been a sanctuary, instead of being a sanctuary, he's become something that they trip over because they're seeking sanctuary in other sources. That's what sin is. We seek we seek pleasure, we seek sanctuary, we seek protection in things other than God. And instead of being the sanctuary for us, and, and that he longs to be, uh, it, it becomes something that we, that we trip over. It's, it's a, it, was a, it was a great tragedy. Uh, not trusting in God leads us to terrible decisions. And... And, and disobedience. In fact, all disobedience comes from a failure to trust God. I want to say that again. All disobedience comes from a failure to trust God. And so whenever we sin, we should ask the question, how am I not trusting God here? How am I not trusting God here? Because, because all disobedience is coming from that. It comes from a failure to trust God. It leads to terrible decisions. It leads to all kinds of, of disobedience. And so turn to him. Trust in him. He will be your sanctuary. 
he will be your cornerstone. He will be the foundation for you to build your life upon. Jesus is the living stone, and in him we are living stones, given life, given eternal life, and being built together to be a new people for his praise. That's the second thing that we see here, is that we are new people. We can just dispense with the slide now, okay? Just turn the whole thing off. All good, we're going old school, okay? All right, okay, living stones, second. New people, new people. Um, let's look at verses nine and 10. First Peter two and verses nine and, and 10. Peter says, but you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his possession, so that you may proclaim the praises of the one who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. Once you were not a people, but now you are God's people. You had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. Who are you? Peter says, this is who you are. Look at verse nine. He says, but you are a chosen race. Now in the Old Testament, God chose the Jewish people. He formed a special people, right? The Jewish people. And so, and so Israel in the Old Testament is chosen, but why were they chosen? Were they chosen just so they could say, hey, we're the chosen ones? No. God chose Israel to be a blessing to the rest of the world. And so in Genesis 12, 3, when God comes to Abraham and he tells Abraham, I'm going to form this special chosen people through your seed, what is the promise that God makes to Abraham? God says, I'm blessing you so that you can be a blessing, and in you, all the peoples of the earth will be blessed. And so God chose Israel in order to bring blessing to the rest of the world, to every tribe and tongue. And so the biblical vision from Genesis all the way to Revelation is for people of every tribe, every race, every tongue, every ethnicity joining together in the praise of the Savior. And so this culminates in the book of, of Revelation. Turn to Revelation chapter 7. Revelation 7. We sung earlier today about the fact that we live in a groaning creation. We do. <laughs> but is God bringing about a new creation? He is. And we see it here in, in Revelation 7. And, and let's look at verses 9 and, and 10. Uh, 
After this I looked, and there was a vast multitude from every nation, tribe, people, and language, which no one could number, standing before the throne and before the Lamb. They were clothed in white robes with palm branches in their hands, and they cried out in a loud voice, Salvation belongs to our God, who is seated on the throne and to the Lamb. And so the vision here of the new creation that Jesus is bringing about is a people from every tribe and tongue. And so this is why the Bible absolutely destroys racism. Because the Bible teaches us that every person is is a sinner in need of a savior. Romans 3.23 says that all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. But God is forming a new people, right? A chosen race. And, and, and they are from every ethnicity, every tribe, every language, right? And, and, and God, is, God is forming a new people from every tribe and tongue for his praise and we will worship him forever. What else does uh, Peter say here? Let's, let's go back to, to, to 1 Peter chapter 2. And let's continue kind of through this uh, sentence about who we are. In verse 9. He says, but you were a chosen race. And then what? A royal priesthood. A holy nation. A people for his possession. Now this comes from Exodus 19.6, where God says of Israel, you will be my kingdom of priests and a holy nation. And so Israel was to mediate and mirror God's glory to the rest of the world. But they failed to do that. But did God fail in his promise? No. Because what does God do? When Israel fails, what does God do? God sends his son through Israel. And now in Christ, the people of God, the new people of God have been formed to to, to do what? To mediate and to mirror God's blessings, God's glory to the rest of the world, which is exactly where he's going here with this purpose clause. So what does he say? Continuing in verse 9. He says, you're a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his possession, so that, so that, purpose clause, so that you may proclaim the praises of the one who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. You see, the blessing that we have received is not to terminate on us. Right? We are blessed to be a blessing. Right? God, our purpose is not to sort of be cul-de-sacs, but conduits of God's blessing. Right? Not to be sort of you know, just uh, reservoirs of truth, where the truth is gathering, but it's not released, but, but rivers, rivers of, of, of blessing, of living water to to others as we go and as we proclaim his praises, as we share the gospel with others. 
Because as he says here in verse 10, listen, once we had not received mercy, 1 Peter is written to primarily to Gentile believers. These people had been clueless, just hopelessly lost. These people had grown up in paganism. They didn't know anything about the one true God. They were living lives that were just incredibly messed up and broken and, and immoral. I mean, they didn't know anything, but they have been redeemed. They have been formed as a new people. Right? Once they were people who with no understanding of mercy. But now, he says, you have received God's mercy. Now, what are we to do with that? We're to go and share that, right? So that we may proclaim the praises of him who called us out of darkness into his marvelous light. God has formed a new people to proclaim his praise. Go forth and proclaim. You are sent. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you for the identity, the new identity that you've given us in, in Christ. We, we, we ask your forgiveness for the many times when we, we, we've, we've, we sought to find our identity in, in lesser things. Lord, may we, may we understand, may we wake up understanding each day that our primary identity is in you. That we are living stones, that we are new people, that, that you, have, you have adopted us as sons and daughters and brought us into your family, that we might go forth and proclaim your praises. You have brought us out of darkness into your glorious light so that we can proclaim the gospel that others might come into the light and that we would join with them forever in the praise of our King. It's in his name that we pray, amen.